We are very used to caring for our physical health, aren't we? Uh, we know that when we go to the toilet, we have to wash our hands afterwards. We know that if, we, uh, if we're coughing or we're sneezing, then we should catch those germs in a handkerchief <coughs> so that they don't spread. Uh, we take care to look after our diet, don't we? To make sure that we're not eating too much or too little and that we're eating the right things. Um, but it's interesting to think about how much we care then about our mental health because mental illness is, uh, is often in the news at the moment and seems to be an expanding problem. Um, and so then I want to think about mental health today and what the Bible has to say about mental health. Um, as Bible believers, we believe that God created us. And so then we have to believe then that God knows what's best for us. Um, right back in the, uh, in the law of Moses, in the early chapters of the Bible, there were laws that God gave the children of Israel, his people, about things like washing hands and cleanliness to keep them free from disease. So if, if, if God knew how to protect his people from physical diseases like this, you know, far before they ever knew about germs and bacteria, then why would, why would it be any different when it comes to our mental health as well? Now, I should add right at the start, though, I'm not a qualified doctor. Uh, I don't, I'm not an expert in mental illness. Uh, so, you know, judge what I'm saying yourselves. You know, uh, have, have a think yourselves about, um, about the points that I make uh, and whether you think it might be accurate or not. I leave that up to you. So uh, when we talk about mental illness, we should maybe talk about what are the sort of things that we're thinking about here. Well, for example, there's, uh, there's depression, isn't there, uh, which is affecting many people in this world. There's uh, anxiety disorders, there's uh, dementia, there's schizophrenia, there can be various phobias which people suffer from. Uh, there can be things like eating disorders, like anorexia and bulimia. Um, there are sort of mental uh, disorders to do with uh, growth, like uh, autism, which cause problems in, in childhood. And taken all as a, as a package, the, the usual stat which people give is that uh, at least one in four of us well, at some point during our lives, have an issue with uh, with some type of mental illness. So it's uh, you know it, it's it's a big problem for us. And um, <coughs> when it comes to what the Bible has to say about this, you, you might think, well, how can the Bible possibly be relevant um, when it comes to mental illness? And uh, and it's true that the world may have changed, mightn't it? That you know the world has changed a great deal since the Bible was written. Um, you know, through the Industrial Revolution, 
this, this world looks nothing like it did when the Bible was written. But yet, we are the same, uh, our minds are the same, and our bodies are the same as the men and women to whom the Bible was written. Uh, nothing has changed there. We've, we've, not, uh, we've not changed the makeup of our brains at all. Uh, we're the same creatures. So really, the case I want to make to you is, that, is, is as follows, which is that living a life in accordance with biblical principles, uh, following uh, God's commands, I want to make the case that that is good for our mental health. Uh, that's what I, what I want to try and prove. The, the, the actual causes of mental illness are not really that well understood. Um, it can be a mix of many different reasons. Um, for example, sometimes uh, genetic factors can make people predisposed to certain things. Um, some things are, are totally uh, genetic. Take, for example, uh, Down syndrome. That's something which we know is, uh, is a, a genetic disorder. Um, and the, the, there are other uh, things such as depression, or, or schizophrenia, which seem to uh, sometimes follow in families as well and have some aspect of hereditary, um, hereditary in them. Um, but as well as that, there are many different environmental factors which come to play in mental illness as well. And uh, one way to think of these is, um, they call them risk factors. Uh, for example, take, uh, take lung cancer, for example. Uh, smoking is a risk factor when it comes to lung cancer. Now that doesn't mean that if you smoke, you're 100% certain to get lung cancer, but it means you're far more likely. Uh, so people, when it comes to mental illness, people talk about risk factors when it comes to mental illness. There are certain uh, certain things which make you far more likely to, uh, to be at risk of a mental illness. So what I want to talk about then is uh, some of these different risk factors and how the Bible and the, uh, the commands which God gives in the Bible and the way of life that the Bible, that God wants us to follow in the Bible, how that can affect those various risk factors. So let's, uh, let's start with the first one I've got here, which is a combination of different things really, but uh, I've got it down here is dysfunctional home life, uh, divorce or separation, uh, single parent homes, poor parenting, um, all of these ideas to do with a dysfunctional family life and a breakup of that sort of nuclear idea of a family, those are all risk factors for uh, various mental illnesses like depression and anxiety and stress. Um, it's not to say that, for example, uh, in single parent families that, uh, that that single parent is not doing the best job that they can. Uh, they may, may well be doing that, but it, it is the case that 
that can often put more stress and more strain on a family than it would be the case if there were two parents involved. Uh, and of course we know that, um, that uh, there are many single parent families and uh, many couples have problems which lead to divorce and such things as poor parenting and a dysfunctional home life are a fact of life for many children. Um, so what does the Bible have to say about this? Well, there's a strong focus in the Bible on family life, uh, on the importance of marriage and not treating marriage lightly, but choosing, choosing a marriage partner uh, with thought. And uh, the fact that God uh, doesn't agree with divorce, that, uh, that he thinks that marriage is for life. So that then helps to combat separation because it means that people choosing to, to get married uh, think about it and try hard to make sure that their marriage works. Uh, as well as that, the Bible talks about children in a way that, that really brings home the importance and the responsibility that children bring. Um, let's uh, have a look at uh, Psalm 127. Psalm 127, verse 3. Lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. As arrows are in the hand of a mighty man, so are children of the youth. Happy is the man that hath his quiver full of them. They shall not be ashamed, but they shall speak with the enemies in the gate. So there in verse 3, lo, children are an heritage of the Lord, and the fruit of the womb is his reward. Uh, just that idea of children being a gift um, is something which the Bible stresses and means that, um, that the Bible encourages parents to not take lightly uh, the welfare and the parenting of their children. Um, the Bible also reinforces the responsibility of parents to teach their children as well. You sometimes get the feeling in society at the moment that uh, the responsibility to teach children can be offloaded by parents onto other people, whether that's uh, you know, the, the nursery or, or the school or other, other sort of caregivers. But the, the Bible makes it clear that, um, that it's the parent's responsibility to teach. In particular, the Bible says, to teach the commandments of God to their children. So that's, that's a sort of big part of a focus on family life and an importance on parenting and responsible childcare. Um, also, for those who do end up with 
a sort of separated family for, for whatever reason, um, if they <coughs> if they are perhaps orphans or if they are widows, uh, the church offers another family for those who don't have um, a big family of their own. In fact, a more important family. Uh, let's have a look at Psalm 68. Psalm 68, verse 5. A father of the fatherless and a judge of the widows is God in his holy habitation. God setteth the solitary in families. He bringeth out those which are bound with chains, but the rebellious dwell in a dry land. So this, this idea of God being our father um, and putting people in families... Um, loneliness is another big contributing factor to, uh, to mental illness and the ability of a, of a church to be a unit, to be a family uh, I think that's an important defence against mental, mental illness as well um, so in, in the New Testament, well and in the Old Testament uh, believers are referred to as brothers and sisters, you know, part of a, part of a family with God as a father. So, you know, all those all those risk factors for mental illness to do with the breakdown of family life and dysfunction in a family, the Bible has defences against them, whether it be commands that teach us the importance of that family life or a a communal family structure away from our blood families uh, and in fact one that is more important. So that's, uh, that's, that's one sort of risk factor. Another one is, uh, is poverty and debt. That is a huge risk factor for mental illnesses because the constant stress and strain and worry of thinking about how you're going to provide for yourself and for your family, uh, that can cause, that can be a cause of mental illness. Well, the, the Bible has an obvious uh, defence against that, doesn't it? In that it teaches a care for the poor and for sharing what you have. Uh, let's have a look at the example of the very first church in the New Testament in Acts chapter 2. chapter 2 and verse 44 and this is talking about the behavior of the very first believers it says and all that believed were together and had all things common and sold their possessions and goods and parted them to all men as every man had need so a real sort of communal spirit about the uh, the first the first New Testament church there. 
Um, and and this, is, this is the doctrine that the Bible teaches of care for those who are less well-off than we are, of sharing what we have. Um, if, we, if we were to go on through the Acts of the Apostles to learn about the development of the early church, uh, we'd find that they, they end up setting up structures in place for looking after uh, uh, particularly the widows, those in need. Um, the, later on, they also had collections of money uh, to, to, to look after those who were less well off. Um, so you can, you can see that the, that the Bible teaches a care um, for those who are in poverty uh, and those who are in debt, uh, such that, you know, we know in our church that we wouldn't let people get into a difficulty if we knew about it. Um, and that, that then is, is a huge defence against mental illness. Let me turn on, uh, over to another, another risk factor. This one, I think, is a huge problem in our modern world. And it's the problem of low self-esteem. Um, the problem of people who are unable to meet social expectations. What do I mean when I say that? Well, uh, things like career. <coughs> You know, there is an expectation, isn't there, for people to have a good career, uh, for people to attain wealth uh, and possessions, for people to have a family, to have a big family, you know, a family that all likes to get together at Christmas and have a good time together and never, never falls out or argues or, you know, a perfect family, perfect relationships. You know, a perfect husband, a perfect wife, and never argue or bicker, but always get on and go on fantastic, lovely holidays together. What about beauty? The idealisation of, you know, the world's concepts of beauty. And these people finding it the, these expectations hard to meet, uh, these are risk factors for all sorts of mental illnesses like depression and anxiety, stress. Uh, this can lead to substance abuse and addiction, uh, eating disorders. You know, all, all these are, can be causes of people feeling like failures because social expectations uh, cause them to feel that way and, it, and it's worth it's worth thinking about the, these sort of expectations that people are put under and thinking you know are they even reasonable are, are they are they even achievable um, and just when you when you look at when you look at adverts you know any advert that you've ever seen most of them sell a way of life to us that is, for most of us, unobtainable uh, and not, not realistic in the slightest. You know, every model 
that's ever worn clothes is, is probably thinner than you are. Uh, you know, how, how, does, how does that make us feel? Well, it makes many people feel, particularly young people, feel dissatisfied with themselves and with their body. Uh, and, they can, you know, and it's pretty difficult to change what you look like, unfortunately. <laughs> um, so how does the Bible combat this then? Well, it's interesting when you think about adverts, isn't it? Because uh, one of the Ten Commandments is thou shalt not cover. Don't, don't want things which you don't have. Uh, which seems to be you know, almost a commandment against advertising, doesn't it? Have a look at, uh, at Hebrews chapter 13. Hebrews chapter 13 and verse 5. Let your conversation be without covetousness, and be content with such things as ye have. For he hath said, I will never leave thee, nor forsake thee. And that really is, is the Bible message in a tea there. Um, to be content with what we have. Um, uh, to be content with the career or the wealth or the possessions or the family or the relationships or the, you know, the amount of beauty that we have. Uh, to be able to do that would save us a whole lot of worry and stress and anxiety. Um, and for many people, the pursuit of these social expectations is the purpose of their life. Uh, and for that reason, it causes them a lot of worry. But really, the way out that the Bible gives us is that it gives us another focus entirely. Uh, let's have a look at uh, Matthew chapter 6. Matthew chapter 6, and uh, let's start at verse 25. Jesus says, Therefore I say unto you, Take no thought for your life what ye shall eat or what ye shall drink, nor yet for your body what ye shall put on. Is not the life more than meat, and the body than raiment? So Jesus here is saying, you know, don't, don't worry too much about your food and your clothing um, isn't the more to life than food and clothing. Uh, and actually the sad thing is that for many people, actually there, there isn't that much more to life than food and clothing and, and wealth and possessions and whatever, whatever else you want to think about there. Uh, you know, that, that is their focus in life. Uh, but uh, let's go a bit further. Uh, verse 31 <coughs> Therefore take no thought, saying, What shall we eat, or what shall we drink, 
or wherewithal shall we be clothed? For after all these things do the Gentiles seek. For your heavenly Father knoweth that ye have need of all these things. But seek ye first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you. <coughs> and, and, and that really is the way out that the Bible gives us, out of having to worry and care about the social expectations of the world around us, of what the world says we should want. Uh, because the Bible says, don't, don't worry about those things, seek instead for something different. It says, seek for the kingdom of God. Uh, and this is the wonderful hope of the Bible, the kingdom of God and the return of Jesus. And people who are able to do this rid themselves then of that, that pressure of social expectation. Um, so I, I think the Bible in that sense is a wonderful defence against mental illnesses that can come as a result of low self-esteem. Uh, and not being able, being unable um, to grasp these things that people say they should be, uh, should be, should be attaining. Another risk factor is traumatic incidents that happen in people's lives. Uh, that can be a risk factor for mental illness. Uh, but perhaps the most obvious example to us of this um, would be the, the, the soldiers and the troops after uh, both World Wars, World War I and World War II. Um, in particular, after World War I, they called it shell shock, didn't they? These troops who would return back and were a a sort of hollow shell of the people they used to be because of the horrible things that they'd gone through. And uh, we, we now sort of refer to it as PTSD or post-traumatic stress disorder. Um, and and the, the, there are all sorts of traumatic incidents that people can go through uh, and that change our lives and make their mark on us. Um, and you might think, well, how can the Bible possibly... Uh, help us when it comes to this. Well, it, it's not that the Bible defends us against these things happening. It's not that the, the, the Bible will stop uh, these incidents happening. But it's rather that the Bible message is that God is in control. Um, and that we don't, uh, and the realization that we don't have the right to a perfect life. Uh, uh, and nor does it do us any good to question why such things happen to us. But the, the knowledge that, um, that a Bible believer has that God is in control in their lives um, and that, as Paul says in Romans, all things work together for good to those that love God, um, that gives them a great deal of strength and determination in dealing with uh, difficult traumatic incidents uh, that cause stress in people's lives. Uh, in particular, look at uh, what Paul says in 1 Thessalonians. Uh, 
First uh, Thessalonians. And uh, chapter 4. First uh, Thessalonians 4 and verse 13. But I would not have you to be ignorant, brethren, concerning them which are asleep, that ye sorrow not, even as others which have no, help, uh, no hope. For if we believe that Jesus died and rose again, even so them also which sleep in Jesus will God bring with him. So even the trauma of death itself is made easier by the hope which the Bible gives to believers of resurrection. Uh, and that's, that's a wonderful thing. So uh, there then are sort of various risk factors for mental illness and ways in which I think that the Bible uh, can give us some level of defence against them. Now, don't get me wrong, I'm not saying that, you know, if you are a Bible believer and if you follow the commandments of Jesus, then none of these, you know, none of these illnesses will never happen to you and you'll never be depressed. Uh, that's not what I'm saying, but rather that... Um, that the Bible can be a defence against these things in the same way that, you know, uh, not smoking uh, can defend you against lung cancer. Not that it doesn't mean you'll never get lung cancer, uh, but you know what I'm saying. A couple of other things I want to mention is um, other positive things uh, which belief in the Bible can bring to our mental health. Uh, can you turn with me to Philippians and chapter 4? We, uh, we think a lot about the importance of a good diet, don't we? About... Um, you know, making sure that we eat the right things, that we don't eat too much of the wrong things, uh, and that we have a, a good balanced diet. Well, how much do we think about um, whether we have a good mental diet? Uh, have a look at this, uh, these verses, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6. Be careful for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known unto your God. And the peace of God, which passeth all understanding, shall keep your hearts and minds through Christ Jesus. Finally, brethren, whatsoever things are true, whatsoever things are honest, whatsoever things are just, whatsoever things are pure, whatsoever things are lovely, whatsoever things are of good report, if there be any virtue and if there be any praise, think on these things. That's a, an interesting verse there where the writer is sort of saying, um, try and make your mental diet a good one. You know, and when we think of the world around us, you know, we face a barrage on all sides of, of all sorts of content, uh, whether it's TVs or media or news, 
or all sorts, whether it's books or DVDs or films. And um, along, you know, and that's just sort of entertainment, isn't it? Along with the daily barrage of information, which is just our every waking moment and work lives and uh, lives at university. Uh, and I suppose it, it's worth thinking, um, what is the balance of our diet? And are there some things which we perhaps like to consume in the same way that we love to eat chocolate, uh, but are they perhaps not actually that good for us in terms of our mental health? And, uh, you know, God here seems to suggest that that is the case and that we should be careful about what we consume um, and that we should try and have a good mental diet. Uh, a lot of verses in the Bible talk about uh, meditation, about giving ourselves space to think. And, you know, we are in an increasingly busy and time-pressured world uh, and sometimes even just having space to think is good um, and the Bible makes a case for having space to think about God and about his word as, 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 as being a really positive thing. Let me just read to you from, uh, from Psalm 1. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standeth in the way of sinners, nor sitteth in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord, and in his law doth he meditate day and night. And he shall be like a tree planted by the rivers of water, that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf also shall not wither, and whatsoever he doeth shall prosper. So it gives the idea there of uh, you know, meditating on on the Word of God and giving time to think as being like a like a tree, like being planted, like being steady and not being you know not able to be blown over by the winds of of adversity. Um, and I'm, I'm running out of time, but there's numerous other benefits in terms of mental health to. Um, to the way of life that God leads us towards in the Bible. Um, for example, just take prayer. Um, prayer is a way of getting things off our chests. Um, and even in the secular world, it's seen as a good thing to be able to talk to people about our problems and about to share things and about being able to vocalise things that we are going through. Um, well, how much more, if you're a Bible believer, is that, is that going to be the case when you feel that you are speaking to a person who can actually do something about your problem? You know, and, uh, and we believe that God is able to, uh, to answer prayer. Uh, another thing is uh, the idea of group therapy. You know, uh, every, every Sunday we get together and uh, you know we, we we talk about our lives and our difficulties and our issues and what 
what we struggle with and we try and help each other. Well, that's, you know, that's a, that's a sort of self-help group, isn't it? And it, um, it's a removal of self-absorption as well, of caring only about ourselves. So then, I'll, I'll, leave it, I'll leave it there. There's other things I could talk about, but I'm, I really am running out of time. Uh, the only thing I want to end on is, um, is just that um, when I was reading about depression, it said something which I thought was quite interesting, where it said, uh, depression is not sadness. Uh, it said depression is not sadness because, uh, because depression is like a prolonged a period of sadness past what is seen to be normal um, for whatever reason. But it made me think there that, that um, what, is, what is sadness? Now, no, nobody, nobody in their right mind would call sadness a mental illness, would they? Because if it's a mental illness, then we've all got it. Because we all, we all get sad, don't we? Um, in much the same way that nobody would say that old age or the aging process is a disease. You know, we, we wouldn't say that was a disease, would we? Because, again, everybody has it and there's, there's no way we've found so far for it to be removed. But uh, let's, let's have a look at uh, Isaiah um, chapter 35. Because this is one way in which the hope that the Bible offers us goes far beyond uh, anything that man can offer us. We know that there are examples in the Bible of, uh, of Jesus healing those who have mental illnesses. And here in Isaiah chapter 35, uh, it's a picture of the coming kingdom of when Jesus will return. And uh, in verse 5, it has, you know, instances of physical illnesses being healed. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, and the ears of the deaf shall be unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap as an heart, and the tongue of the dumb sing. But uh, look down at verse 10. The ransomed of the Lord shall return, and come to Zion with songs and everlasting joy upon their heads. They shall obtain joy and gladness, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. You know, just that, that idea of sorrow and sighing fleeing away, as if it's as, it, as if it's not supposed to be there. And, and that's the whole point, isn't it, that, that the Bible makes, that, uh, that sorrow and sighing and pain and sin and death and all these things that afflict us are actually not a fundamental part of, uh, you, you know, what God created. Uh, he didn't create Adam and Eve with, you know, depression and mental illness. Uh, and when Jesus returns in His kingdom, those things again will be, uh, will be in the past. 
Let me just finish with a verse from Revelation 21. God shall wipe away all tears from their eyes. There shall be no more death, neither sorrow nor crying, neither shall there be any more pain, for the former things are passed away. And uh, obviously we long for that day to come. Uh, but in the meantime, uh, my advice to everybody on the subject of mental health uh, would be to try and follow uh, the Bible, um, because I really do think it has a lot to offer to defend us from mental illness.